Hello everyone, welcome to Talk to Talk. Cameron Billis joined once again by my co-host Darren Weiss and we have another exciting edition of Talk to Talk. We're joined now by NBA writer Josh Eberly. Josh, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me guys. We talked about it a few times. We, you know, we kind of teased it a little bit. Hopefully that'll build up the tension. We'll get a, a nice little chemistry going. That's what I like to hear. Now, you know, Josh, it feels like the NBA, you know, finished five minutes ago, and here we are on to a new NBA season. A lot of off-season acquisitions were made by a lot of teams, um, you know, trying to give Golden State a run for their money. Out of all the teams, you know, Denver, obviously OKC, Houston made a big splash, uh, Boston, even Cleveland. Who do you think is maybe, you know, the one team that could really, you know, the one team that did the most in free agency to give themselves a chance against Golden State this season? Yeah, I don't know if I want to say it's a real good chance, but if you made me pick someone who was going to challenge them in some capacity, I think I would go with Oklahoma City. And I think there's going to be some sort of a learning curve, uh, bringing Carmel Anthony, bringing Paul George, inserting them into your lineup and figuring out that food chain of who shoots when. But defensively, I just think Oklahoma City matches up best um, with George, Robertson. Uh, obviously, Melo doesn't really help that. But if Steven Adams comes along a little bit more as a rim protector, there's a couple teams in Houston and maybe even Minnesota who might be able to score at a similar pace or similar rate. But Oklahoma is the only team that I think really can push Clay, can push Katie, and maybe make it tough enough for them that you buy into them winning a game or two. You know, my biggest problem with, um, you know, I love what Oklahoma City has done. That front office has done a great job getting, like you said, Carmelo and Paul George and re-signing. Westbrook but I feel like a lot of these NBA teams you know just to try to compete with Golden State they just you know they have the mindset let's acquire as many stars as possible and figure it out later and in Houston and Oklahoma City's case you know Harden he he dominates the ball and you know that's a lot what Chris Paul does and same with Oklahoma City you have Russell Westbrook who sort of you know the ball stops when it goes in I know he gets a lot of assists but that isn't you know assists aren't really dependent upon how much of a ball-dominating guard you are. And, you know, Melo's another guy where the ball kind of just stops when it gets in his hand. So how do you think the chemistry is going to play out between Harden and Paul and Houston and then, you know, two to three ball stoppers on Oklahoma City with Westbrook, Paul George, and Carmelo? Do you, I mean, do you, you know, they have the whole season to figure it out, but do you think there's going to be a problem there or do you think these guys are just going to be ready to go right out of the gate? Yeah, I think that's, that's a good question. When, when Kevin Durant went to Golden State, there was no question for me that given the amount of times he was touching the ball in Oklahoma City and how many times Harrison Barnes was touching it for Golden State, that it wasn't going to work. Like, it was an easy adjustment where you were pulling out one guy, putting him in another, and only changing the role really a little bit. I know that's crazy to say, but Harrison Barnes was only touching the ball about 15 times less than Durant was in Oklahoma City when he was a member of the Thunder. And now you have, you know, Melo and Paul George, who each touch the ball, you know, 64, 65 times a game. Westbrook has it like 90, 100. <laughs> it's going to be tough. It's not a natural fit. And, and with, with the Warriors, you weren't worried about with Oklahoma, you are. Um, but the thing for me with OKC specifically is it's Westbrook's team. We know it's his team. You know, when he had Kevin Durant there, when he had James Harden there, he wasn't giving it up. It was his way or the highway. And I don't think that changes with Melo and George. I don't know if that's great for them, but the, I don't think we need to question what's going to happen because that's what's going to happen. It's going to be Westbrook's show. Um, with Houston, I think there's a better chance of, of the team meshing. I think Chris Paul and James Harden both have a little bit more awareness than Russell Westbrook has. 
I think that Chris Paul and James Harden can both do things for you off the ball that Westbrook doesn't. Um, obviously, Harden cut a lot when he was in Oklahoma City. I think he'd be effective coming off the wing, cutting for the basketball. Um, Chris Paul is an excellent shooter. I mean, he's not Steph Curry, but he's he's a lights-out shooter. And I think he's already attempted, you know, 14 three-point attempts in, in two preseason games playing, you know, not even a full workload of minutes. I think that you're going to see them adjust. They're going to figure it out. Chris Paul will shoot more from deep. Harden will cut more when he's off ball. I think Houston has a better chance to, to mesh and have you say, wow, these guys play well together um, rather than beat you with brute force than Oklahoma City does. Josh, I think the last few years, especially, and Darren and I grew up Detroit Pistons fans, so we've been following more of the Eastern Conference. And now, this past offseason, this is the strongest the Western Conference has been maybe ever. Uh, Is this good for basketball? Because in my eyes, I get almost confused as to why, you know, guys like Chris Paul who are uh, seeking out trades as compared to trying to get to the Eastern Conference or just trying to go to stronger teams in the Western Conference when that road in the East for LeBron is oh so easy? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, honestly, it's a 20-year-long question. And, and yeah, I want to go back all the way to Jordan because LeBron always gets banged with this, but it has been this way forever. And, and we like glorify teams that had Reggie Miller and Rick Smith as, as contenders in the Jordan era you know, when Bird's back is out. And um, and you wonder about these teams that really didn't do much outside of a run or two, and that continued. I mean, the, the Nets with Kit just got smacked. Whoever got there, the Spurs or Lakers smacked them. And, and it, it's, it's escalated, clearly it's escalated, but the East has always been bad and continues to be bad. I'm all for realignment. I like to see the top 16 teams make the playoffs. But to be honest with you, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know why so many stars are drawn west, especially when you have... You know, the mecca of basketball is supposed to be in New York, and there's these big markets out there. You know, Miami and Orlando, this nice weather. I don't know what the pull is, but it's been going on for a long time. You know, speaking of teams that have done a lot and made a lot of moves, you know, Denver, Minnesota, Boston, I think one team that it's it's strange because, you know, they're just so good year in and year out for 20 years now. One team that doesn't get enough criticism in my eyes is a team like San Antonio. You know, they – sort of struck out with Chris Paul and that plan this summer. Aldridge has not been the same player since he came over from Portland. And, you know, out of all the stars in the league, I think Kawhi Leonard is surrounded by the least amount of talent, and he does more with less. And you just don't see much criticism going on there. Do you think – what do you think – what's the deal with San Antonio this season? You know, they didn't get the – you know, they brought in Rudy Gay. You know, like it's Rudy Gay and LaMarcus. That's the big three with Kawhi. You know, Paul Gasol too. But are they going to be there at the end? I just – you know, I thought they were really going to get Chris Paul this year, and when they didn't, I'm thinking, is this finally the end for uh, Pop and the Spurs? Yeah, it's interesting, and, and I'm with you. The Spurs had a really lackluster offseason, and I think Rudy Gage going to have a bounce-back year. I think he was better in Sacramento than he got credit for. He kind of got plagued um, early in Memphis and a little bit in Toronto with a personality that, that didn't match, or he was, you know, too ball-dominant. But I think he's going to figure it out. Pop brings the best out of a lot of guys. Um, Aldridge has been awful. I mean, Aldridge has been a bump, and I think everybody knows that. This is a guy who is supposed to be, you know, an all, a lock to be an all-star every year, and you can't even count on him to, to buy in to, you know, the greatest coach of the air system. He takes terrible shots. Every time he has the ball in his hands, you're kind of disappointed. I, I don't want to oversell the doom of San Antonio. They've been the best franchise 
franchise for the last 20 years for a reason. And Kawhi Leonard is special. I think he's going to be the MVP this year. Uh, for the reasons you stated, they really, really truly need him. This is not a Spurs team that's deep, maybe the worst roster they've had in a long time. Um, but but they're so good, I, I don't I don't want to count them out. I mean, the, the Gasol deal, the Parker deal, Gay, they, they bet too much on their own guys, but in the same breath, they find a way. And even when Leonard went down, they won a playoff game last year. They just seem to find a way, and that's hard to quantify, and it's hard to to assess value to, but that's what the Spurs have done for 20 years. Josh, is there sort of an under-the-radar move, maybe not a big, sexy headliner, but just a smaller role player or a fourth or fifth starter move that you think really made a big impact helping a team trying to take down a Cleveland or a Golden State? Hmm, that's a good question. I really like the Tucker signing for, for Houston. I know they have Ariza, I know they like Ariza, and he's a little bit better a player offensively, but Tucker's a dog. And they lost Patrick Beverly. They lost that guy who, to be frank, just comes out and gets under the best player's skin. And he's not afraid to take a hard foul. And he's not afraid to do the little things that you just want a guy to do on your team. Like, every every team needs a dog. And you look at, you know, Dennis Rodman and Deshaun Stevenson for the Mavs and Haslam. And every team, championship team, sees that that one guy who can just come out and play gritty, dirty, defensive, gross, physical basketball. And they, the Rockets really didn't have that guy when they traded everything with Chris Paul trade. So I feel like Tucker's like an underrated signing. And he's someone that can come out and like really make Clay Thompson or Kevin Durant like just difficult in a playoff series. Yeah, I think you absolutely need sort of that pest uh, on every team. Every contender needs that pest that can just sort of get under player skin. And I think another underrated move, Josh, I like, you know, Golden State, what they do great is, you know, transition buckets, transition threes. So they went out, they got Nick Young, who's just a runner-gunner, and then Omri Caspi, a 3-and-D guy. And I think those two moves were underrated, and that really, I mean, just when you think Golden State can't get any better, I think, you know, their bench got a lot better there. And then another team that I don't think made uh, uh, many good moves in the offseason that should have made a good move. You know, Toronto just seems so stagnant to me. You know, they got a good backcourt, and they've tried to figure it out, you know, in the front court, They've tried to Baca. You know, they had Bismack. I just – Toronto just seems so stagnant. So, I mean, are those – I mean, is is, is there a drop-off after Boston and Cleveland in the East, or can Toronto sort of make a run? And, you know, what, what do you think about that? Like, you're, you're not going to see a drop-off in terms of wins this year, I don't think. I think uh, Boston, Cleveland, Toronto, and Washington will all be in that 48-55 to 55 win zone, and they won't look a ton different in the regular season. And it's going to lead people to think, like, oh, Cleveland's falling off. Um, maybe they don't have it this year. Boston hasn't gelled the way we thought they would. Yada, yada, yada. But it's still, it is definitely Cleveland, Boston, Space, Washington, Toronto, Milwaukee, in my opinion. I think Toronto has, and if, if Kyle Lowry's healthy right there, that's a boost. CJ Miles comes in, gives them spacing they didn't have. They've never had a three-point shooter like Miles, whether it was Rudy Gay, Terrence Ross, whoever, playing next to Lowry and DeRozan, that spacing is going to be big. Um, Serge Ibaka is obviously a huge, huge upgrade from Pascal Siakam or, or Patrick Patterson. But they still have problems. Like, I mean, they still have Jonas Valanciunas in the middle, can't defend the rim. Dwayne Casey's an uninspiring coach. The talent level is just, you don't have a LeBron James. The Cleveland Cavaliers have a LeBron James. 
kind of hard to hit them over the head when they have that weapon there every night. But I, I still think Toronto's going to be a good team. They looked at breaking it up at rebuilding this year, and they thought, do we really want to go back to being a 20-win team and having all of Canada stick their noses up at us? No, we don't. So they doubled down on their guys. They're going to give us a try for the next three years. I kind of admire that fight in them. It's probably not going to pay off with the championship, but they're going to be an above-average basketball team over that time. Now, you mentioned LeBron, and, you know, it looms to next se- you know, fast forward to next offseason. Everyone's thinking, oh, is he going to bolt west to L.A.? What are your predictions on that? And at this point, you see how strong the West is. Wouldn't it be a lot easier for LeBron to stay in the East and just continue to make finals runs and finals appearances and have these cakewalks rather than, you know, going to have a battle every night against OKC or Houston, San Antonio, Golden State? I mean, what's what's your prediction? Is LeBron going to – where is LeBron going next year or is he going to stay home? Yeah, you're, you're right. He absolutely would be better off staying in the East. He'd probably be best off staying home. But it doesn't seem to be a factor. And, like, for us as the media and the fans, we always look at that. We're like, wow, the East is a cakewalk. It's Candyland. And the West is like a haunted house mansion full of horrors. It's a bloodbath, the West. Man can sink you. And, yeah, and I don't know why, but players don't seem to see that. Like, Paul George had no hesitation saying he wanted to go to a lottery team. Like, he wants to go home to L.A. Now he's in OKC. Millsap just signed in Denver. He's been in both conferences. Could have stayed east, you know. Uh, Jimmy Butler's west. Uh, Melo, who knows what he's going to do after this year. But, like, it hasn't seemed to impact the decision-making or the, the, the morale of stars to go west. But like, they don't seem to be intimidated by this tougher road. And maybe that tells you a little bit more about how this is a job for them. And money is more important than winning for a lot of players. But... But yeah, I, I think that LeBron is leaving. I don't know where he's going to go. I think Lonzo Ball, Magic Johnson, what they've kind of got with this youth movement makes it tougher for him to come in there and say, hey, we're going to do it my way. We're going to trade the young guys. We're going to get guys on one, two-year deals. We're going to be flexible. We're going to build a banana boat. I don't think he'll go in there and dictate to Magic Johnson the way that he has with Cleveland the last few years. I honestly think LeBron to Houston is the most interesting situation. They're close. They have a superstar in Harden. Um, as he ages, as Paul ages, uh, they, they, can, they can lean on another guy. But it's a situation where their GM's savvy enough that he can clear space, and maybe the banana boat could happen there. They've already got a piece in place. Josh, let's talk about more of this you know, east-west power discrepancy. We just went through a, a season without a single NBA head coach getting fired. How much do you think, because I think this is a major factor, that some of these Eastern Conference teams don't want to let go of underperforming coaches because they realize they're not close to winning anytime soon. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think this is a whole new era that we're seeing with fans. And, like, trust the process and hinky and this transparency. With, like, we knew what happened before. Teams were bad before. We knew they were going, not necessarily tanking, but we, we knew the expectations weren't there. But this honesty with, hey, we want to be terrible so that we can get a, a young guy in the draft and five years from now we can be good. Or, and in the other case of, hey, we know we're not beating LeBron this year, so let's just you know, cool our jets and we'll, we'll take another look at this two, year, two or three years down the road. I think that honesty and that transparency that has led out of the, the process has mellowed fans some, and the average fan has started to buy into that, hey, if we can't be first, let's be last. And uh, I'm not there. I still think thinking is kind of gross. But it's definitely, you start to see that, that effect on fans and on teams where 
you know, maybe they're not taking, maybe they're shelving that, maybe that's the spin they want to put on it, but it doesn't seem to be a worry for them anymore if we're not making the playoffs every year. We'd rather be bad than average, and that's really kind of taking over over the last 10, 15 years. We're joined by Josh Eberle here on Talk the Talk, great basketball mind. Josh, before we get into the rookie clash, which I just think is outstanding, I want to touch on Cleveland real quick. They, you know, they obviously traded Kyrie for Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, and while Kyrie is a much better player than Isaiah, there's no disputing that, I do think top to bottom, Cleveland got better. They acquired Wade, Derrick Rose. It's sort of, you know, this they're, they're all in this year because if LeBron leaves, Wade's going to leave, Isaiah's a free agent, um, J.R. Smith is up soon. Do... Can they make it through without Isaiah for half the season? And can they make a serious run at Golden State? Because after this year, I just, Isaiah Thomas long term, I just don't see him aging gracefully. I don't like his, you know, he's so small, his hips a big question. I just, I can't see his body aging gracefully. So can they figure it out in sort of a half a season when Isaiah's back with, you know, Wade, who is not a very good, you know, he doesn't shoot threes. So they're not going to be very long, their starting lineup. Um, they obviously have Corver and J.R. Smith off the bench to uh, stretch the floor, but I think this is a big year for Kevin Love. I think he has a huge year, not a bounce back year, but a better year than last year. And can 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 they go more than five games against Golden State is ultimately the question. At this moment, I want to say no. Um, I think Cleveland got better for the year, but more importantly, they, they made out well in the Kyrie Irving trade given the position that Kyrie's trade put them in, and especially with it coming public. You know, you heard rumors about Phoenix and Milwaukee, and nobody wanted to meet them in the middle on a Kyrie deal. Like the, the optimism from other general managers that Kyrie Irving was going to be a superstar isn't the same as how Kyrie Irving views himself and, I guess, ultimately how Boston views him. And you saw that in the general manager interview this week that was released, where only like 7% of general managers thought that Kyrie Irving was going to be the most impactful free agent or, uh, or acquisition this offseason, you know, amongst the four or five that were dealt. But in the same breath, he got the best package. I mean, nobody else got close. Like the, the Bulls, the Pacers for George above it. Didn't get close to what Cleveland got for Kyrie. And he had an active trade request. And that there were so many things working against Cleveland in this deal. And yet they got the best package. So props to them for that. On the second part of your question, I liked this team more before the Dwayne Wade signing. I liked this team more before the Derek Rose signing. These are two guys who have passed their prime and don't know it. These two guys are both taking 18 shots a night, touching the ball way too much. Neither of them plays good defense. Neither of them is a good outside shooter. Uh, LeBron's whole career has been, I'd rather have a pylon who does nothing but run around the three-point line but shoots 40% from three than superior talent players but aren't good shooters. Now you've added two guys and you think they're good shooters but aren't good shooters. You talked about Kevin Love. You want to get Kevin Love involved. So do I. Where's, where's all-star Kevin Love? 24 points a game, 12 rebounds a game, Kevin Love. Where's that guy? He's not going to be involved because Derek Rose and Dwayne Wade are going to take turns waving him off. The LeBron and Love dynamic worked really well. I don't know what the record was when, when Kyrie was out. I think it was like 10-4 and four or 10-3. and three, But the Cleveland team rolled when LeBron and Love worked out each other and Love was more involved. He's a very talented player. But I feel like bringing Rose and Wade is going to minimize him and take the chance away that he had to really be involved this year and not just an off-ball shooter. So I think Cleveland's got a lot of things to work in, out internally, and, and I don't see some sort of a crazy jump, as much as I like Jay Crowder, as much as I like Isaiah Thomas, that pulls them over, over the Warriors. Josh, I could not agree with you more there. I think 
you know, from a fan's perspective, you hear the name Dwayne Wade, you hear the name Derrick Rose, and you automatically assume that, whoa, man, that's that's talent right there. They got better. But like you said, that's just that's not the case in my eyes. That's just clogging up, uh, clogging up the floor. But let's move forward to upcoming season predictions. You just said that you don't think Cleveland has a chance against Golden State. Making it to the finals as many times in a row as Golden State has and looking for their second consecutive championship is not an easy task, no matter how, how talented you are. We talked about OKC earlier in the podcast. Who can take down Golden State, if anyone? Or are they, are they destined to win another championship? Yeah, like we mentioned earlier, if I had, if you made me, if you put a gun to my head, if you put a gun to my girlfriend's head and my cat's head and my dog's head and you're like, I'm going to pull the trigger on all of you you don't bet on someone to beat the Warriors. I guess Oklahoma City. But I'm not making that bet. Like, there's no spread in Vegas right now that gets me excited about the Warriors falling off here. They just have too much talent. And like you said, they added Nick Young. And everyone likes to joke about Swaggy P. He does a lot of crazy stuff. He, he's great for multiple in multiple facets and that he's a joker and a good basketball player. But this joker is one of, like, 12 or 13 guys last year who attempted five plus threes and hit 40% or more of them. But they already have Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant doing that. Now you get Nick Young coming off the bench, he's going to snipe too. It's just so unfair. They're the most stacked team in any sport that I have ever seen in my lifetime. And they're all in their time. Like, I, there's no immediate window where you're like, okay, well, this is their last year. Like, you know, teams throw, they, they acquire all these stars, and they're like, well, they better do it this year, because next year they're in trouble. It's like, well, you know... If the Warriors, by some chance, lose Kevin Durant, they could still win a championship. It, it, it just—it must be—it must be wonderful to be a Golden State Warriors fan right now. <laughs> you know, Josh, on Twitter yesterday, you posted a question: Name a player everyone thinks that takes a big step forward this year, but doesn't, and name a player you believe is taking a jump that others don't. And my answer to that was, I do not, I, uh, D'Angelo Russell is somebody I don't see taking a big step forward this year. Uh, and somebody that I do see taking a big step forward this year that others, you know, aren't talking about. I really like Jamal Murray and what Denver's doing over there. Who, who, uh, you know, I'm sure you've got a lot of different responses. Who's your, uh, who are you, your two guys on that? And where are some of the crazier responses you saw? Well, first of all, like, I just want to let you know, when you said Jamal Murray, I was pounding my chest. Like the Canadian pride in, in my heart right now, just beating. And, and I, I need to say that first, because the most common answer to that question of a guy that people think is going to step forward but won't was Andrew Wiggins. And Andrew Wiggins was supposed to be the great Northern hope, and he just hasn't put it all together in Minnesota. Very talented scorer. I think that continues, but he just doesn't do anything else. And I think, well, there's people who are optimistic that Butler being there kind of opened things up for him. I don't think it challenges him to get better defensively. I don't think it gives him a chance to be a better facilitator. I'm kind of worried that Wiggins isn't going to take a step forward, and I'm with those people. But, but Jamal Murray and Gary Harris, also in Denver, are two guys that I think that aren't getting talked about enough. Um, maybe it's that Denver is a small market. Maybe it's that they're not the premier faces of that team, but that backcourt's going to be very good, and I think both those guys take a step forward. Some of the crazier answers, someone told me Derek Rose at 29, year old, huh. 29 years old after six knee injuries and all the offseason shenanigans last year is going to take a massive step forward. Someone said Jeff Green. Like I feel like Jeff Green has been in the league 15 years, and every year they're like, Jeff Green's going to put it together. Like, this is his year. Like six? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. 
but yeah, there are some crazy answers for sure. We uh, we're here uh, joined by Josh Eberly on Talk the Talk. I think we have time for two more topics, uh, so we'll dive right into those. Yeah, Josh, uh, I'm sure you caught Stan Van Gundy's comments about how he thinks, in essence, you can save the league from being so top heavy, and that is to get rid of max contracts and to get rid of the draft altogether. I'm, I'm, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And then diving into the draft more, per se, what are your thoughts on, you know, I think LeBron James kind of has ruined the draft and everyone's idea of the draft. Every year you, you hear that these number one guys are going to be the savior of their team, and no one has lived up to that hype ever since him. Is, is the dra- are people's expectations of top prospects in the draft maybe a bit too high? Um, yeah. I mean, I guess I'll try to answer just a couple questions. I'll try to answer that in reverse. So are, are fans too excited about the prospect of draft picks? Yes, you donkeys. No, of course, of course. Last year, some of the arguments, like Paul George and Jimmy Butler are both top 12 players in the NBA, top 15 and absolutely worst. And you would hear Boston fans being like, I don't want to give up my pick for these guys because X guy who was really good in, in college could be better than them maybe one day. Maybe he'll even be as good as them. If you actually want to look at lottery pick by lottery pick over the last 30 years in every slot and how many of those guys actually turn out to be perennial all-stars, all-NBA talents, guys that can get on an MVP ballot, it's so slim. Like, all, all of the evaluation in the world, all of the analytics, all of the eye test viewing you want to put together, nobody knows. If, if people knew, it, it, would be, it would be obvious. We'd all know. Everyone would be in consensus. But it so rarely happens. Like, Andrew Wiggins was the number one pick, and he was a Cantonist prospect, and yada, yada, yada. And, and he might not even be the best player from his class. Like, there is so much to consider and so much happens in the draft. If you have someone that's in that 25 to 28 range on the trading block that's already proven they're an all-NBA player, I'm trading that lottery pick for them every time. Why don't you want the proven commodity? Like, what are you rolling the dice on here? The chances of getting – you're rolling the dice trying to get that guy. The chances of getting someone better than that guy are so, so slim. So the first part of that question, yes, fans and teams overrate draft picks. Give me the proven talent. Um, the other part of that was Stan Van Gundy and his comments about getting rid of the draft. No! No! Hell no! <laughs> we just talked about how basketball went all year round, how it feels like the NBA season just ended. That's because of player movement. That's because of the draft. That's because of all of the speculation that goes into it. I don't want to not talk about basketball for four months. Yes, he's probably right. It'd probably be better for the game, and it'd probably be better for these players not to get stuck in, say, Sacramento for four years where they don't want to be there and the franchise just ruins every piece of talent they ever get a hold of. But as a fan, as an analyst, as, as someone who loves this game, no, I want to talk about the draft. I want to make crazy hot takes about draft picks that aren't going to pan out so that people can laugh at me years from now. Yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more with you on, on you know, the over overrating draft picks. I mean, Danny Age has been sitting there twiddling his thumbs, I feel like, for the last couple of years with all those Brooklyn picks when they could go, as you said, get a top 12 to 15 guy. But, you know, I think that should wrap it up for today's edition of Talk to Talk. Josh, thank you so much for coming on. You've had great insight. We would love to have you back on the show during the season, time permitting, and uh, we look forward to a great season. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it was a blast. Thanks for having me on, guys, and we'll, we'll definitely do it again.